Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. The author, the creator, the beginner of everything, Lord. And your word says, what you began in us, you will complete, Lord. So even this evening, give us hearing ears. Ears to hear, Lord. To understand, to believe, to obey. And to keep our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. Our hearts and our minds on things that are above and not on things that are below. The enemy will try to pull us down, but your call is come up hither. Let our ears be open to your call even this evening. So teach us, Lord, teach us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Remember Sunday? You know, the, pu- the purpose we, we, we come for the ministry of the word, especially on a Wednesday, and as summer progresses, it's going to be more and more difficult, the heat, the distance, okay? Um, but the purpose is twofold. One is doctrine. Doctrine is the foundation on which our life is built. But other foundations, you don't lay a foundation and leave the building like that. You have to build the superstructure. And for each one of us to build a superstructure that will last eternity, we need promises. That's what Peter was talking about. He has given us incredibly precious promises through which we can partake of his divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world that comes through lust. So we need both. First, we need this foundation. Doctrine is the foundation of our life. But the Bible is where God speaks to us through the ministry of the word. In your personal study, God speaks to us. And remember for children to understand easily, we put it across like... uh, First, faith comes from? Okay, Hepsiva, reference. Okay, don't stare blankly. Don't tell Pastor James said it. No, the word said it. <laughs> Romans 10, 17, Vishwas. Sunai says, Sunai Kriske Vajans. I like the Hindi translation better than English because uh, Hindi translation says from the word of Christ. Okay, well, English says the word of God. Some translations say, the word of Christ. Vishwas, Sunai Faith comes from hearing. In Second Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. That is the second one. So you hear, you walk. Then Romans 1, 17, my just, my righteous shall live by faith. So you hear, you walk, you live. And Hebrews 11, 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible. You put these four things and you understand why we need the word of God. It all begins with the word of God. We need to hear, we need to walk, we need to live, and we need to please. And you need promises, foundation and promises, doctrine and promises. So last week... We look from, strangely for me, we look from a psalm. So this Wednesday, we're looking from another psalm, okay? So that you know how to study your psalms, receive doctrine, 
receive promises, apply it into your personal life, especially the young ones. Today we had on our WhatsApp group of a little boy. Uh, I mean, a lot of lots of these clips come from the little kids. But this little kid was really good. Absolutely small kid in Hindi uh, reciting a psalm. And he was very clear. I mean, he, he had confidence. He sounded like better than many pastors when they preach the word. He was more confident of the word. And it's a little kid. I don't think he's more than two or three years old. Okay? So if you start early, good start is always good, but finish matters more. So let's look first to Psalm 46 verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and Though the mountain be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountain shake with its swelling. Okay, now remember, this is written by the sons of Korah, but thousands of years ago. But we apply and we go towards one and we say, Lord, is... Don't corporate make it into a corporate psalm. Whenever you read scripture or when you hear scripture, you have to personalize it. So I don't read God is our refuge. I always read God is my refuge and my strength. Our refuge is a different thing. It's like everybody eating from one plate. And I don't know how much I will get out of it. But when you personalize, you have taken scripture and served it in your own plate. So you have to always personalize scripture. Sons of Korah is writing for all of us, but you have to make it your own. The Lord is, God is my refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Then it talks about all the things that are happening. Therefore, that is the reason we will not fear. Okay? If God is not my refuge and strength, and I know he's an ever-present help, that is not that he will help me, he is helping me, then we will not I will not be moved. I will not fear. Because you're looking at the height of it. Even the whole earth be removed. Okay. Now, these are the sons of Korah actually talking about the earth opening up and swallowing their fathers. Yet, he says, we put our trust not in our father, but in the God of our fathers. Okay. And if you look at verse 4 to 7. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, a holy place of the tabernacle. You have to see the shift going on. Here is a set of people saying God is our refuge, our strength, our very present help, and talks about whole calamity happening everywhere. Immediately she shifts to up to heaven. Okay? There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just as the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth is melted. You need to look at it. A lot of things are happening down here. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our strength. But if you go to verse 5, it says, Everything here is in turmoil, but she shall not be moved. Because God is in our midst. What is it talking about? It is talking about the heavenly city, Zion. Now, Old Testament prophets and sons of prophets could only sing prophetically. In the New Covenant, actually in the book of Hebrews, Scripture says, we are spiritually that city. 
So when all these things, they did not write for them. They did not even understand what they were writing. That's why Peter says, these prophets, moved by the Spirit, wrote about things which we are experiencing. So we are Zion. We are the city of God, scripture says. Therefore, we shall not be moved spiritually even when these things all happen. And there is an invitation if you look from 8 to 11. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. Okay then. Suddenly, when all this is happening, God says, what does he say? This is a very, very, very well-known line. Be still and know that I am God. This is something that God demands of us. We will not know God is moving in the midst of our turmoil unless we choose to be still. So God says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. So even if you don't remember anything by the end of the message, if you remember that one thing, be still and know that I am God. Okay? Because you need this stillness. Everybody at some level, so children, board exams are coming. Now we will go as you go, go further into the message, you will see how everybody is affected by fear. Children are affected by fear. And God says, be still. Be still. And know that I am God. Through it, all God is primarily teaching us one fundamental lesson. It's a primary lesson, basic lesson. What is that? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Will you trust me? Whatever happens all around you, will you trust me? You have to personalize this all through your life. Will you trust me? It may start as a small little thing when you are a child. It may end up as the earth moving around you as an adult. And God says, through it all, can you trust me? Will your level of trust increase? That is why the first words will say, God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is my ever-present help in trouble. You have to personalize this. And therefore... What does scripture say in verse 1? Therefore, I will not, not, we will not. I will not fear. Therefore, I will not fear. We have to learn to personalize. That's what the Bible is talking about here. Meaning, the world, it will only get worse and worse and worse. Now, one month today is what day? Today is 13th. Less than a month for elections in Telangana. And other states different. What are all political parties basically feeding on? Feeding on the fears of people. If you don't vote for us, this is what will happen to you if you vote for the other guy. Everything is fed on the fears of people. Fear psychosis is created. Often fear psychosis is created. And people being fearful. Okay? And God says here, you don't fear. Systems may vanish, systems may crash, it may crash, but God says, know who I am in your life, experience it really, truly, know me, trust me, and do not fear. Because the enemy, this is all written to God's children, whether you are young or old. 
God allows and the enemy uses. One thing we say is called trials. The other thing is called temptations. Trials and temptation. The enemy will use trials and temptation. We will not go into temptations, but trials. He will use it to steal, to kill, to destroy. He will use trials that comes in life to steal, to kill, to destroy. But God is different. In First Peter, he uses the same trial for different purpose. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. But what's the purpose? What's God's purpose? That the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why we looked at those four things. Faith comes from hearing. Faith teaches you to walk. Faith teaches you to live. Faith is the only thing that can please God. Therefore, God says, trials are a testing of your faith. Your faith will be tested. But when you are tested, one of the things God says is, be still and know that I am God. To be still is not easy. It's not easy. It's very difficult. It's not easy. Because, like you heard the illustration on Sunday, the enemy always wants us to panic and break the fence. To break the means. Lord, the, the purpose behind fear, the enemy, why he uses fear, when trials comes, people fear, is that when you are afraid, you make missteps. You panic, you make wrong decisions. So God says, wait, don't do anything. Be still. Be still. You will break the fence that I have put around you and the enemy will grab you. Remember the Bible talking about if you break the hedge, who will bite you? The serpent will bite you. Now the serpent won't break the hedge. We break the hedge. Why do we break the hedge? Because of panic. So God says, be still. All these things happening, be still. But when God is saying, be still, again we saw on Sunday, he's not saying sit there, buy a hammock and lie in that. No. We also need to make progress. Need to make progress, okay? So understand symbols, fundamental patterns in scripture. Whether you are reading from Exodus or whether you are reading from the Psalms, whether you are reading from the New Testament, one of the beauty of it, God never changes. God never changes. That's why doctrine is so important because when you see no doctrine, you see there's this unchanging God. His ways never change. That's why Moses prays this incredible prayer, Lord, teach me your ways. So God has his own usual pattern. Any psalm you pick, or you the very famous one, or popular one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay? It's only if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. What does he do first? He makes me lie down. Meaning, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He feeds me first on his promises. And most of us have no rest. Most of us are so easily distracted by the world because we have not fed on the green pasture of God's word. He leads me to green pastures. Green pastures. Honestly, the young one sitting over here, I want you to listen to that little WhatsApp video of a little boy just quoting, I don't know which psalm it is, Psalm 100. 
little kid and you need to ask yourself how much have you heard and you're not able to even remember a reference which must have been spoken in this church a thousand times and shows you what your education has done to you it's a very dangerous thing to because to whom much is given god requires much meaning you have heard much is going to test every one of you because he says that's the testing of your faith because you have received it now prove it now prove it what you have received you have heard you have believed and you're walking in it that's a testing so he leads us first to green pastures and feeds that's where we are able to lie there because we are fed full of the promises of god he leads us to still waters makes us from drink from his word all for its righteousness scripture says righteousness sake he leads us to still waters what for my soul Isn't what Jesus said? Come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, I will give you rest for your soul. The first thing He draws us to Himself so that we may have rest. My God is my refuge, my strength, ever present help. He says, experience me. But the problem is, for most Christians, Psalm twenty-three stops with that verse. He leads me to still waters, green pastures. I'm so happy. It's like a fairy tale. They lived happy, married, and they lived happily ever after. The fights that took place in the mat in the marriage is never written in that fairy tale. They married and lived happily ever after. So, for most Christians, Psalm 23 ends there. But if Psalm 23 ends there, then there is no progress. They haven't gone any farther because the next line says. even though you walk through the valley of shadow of death that's another experience he takes you into the wilderness you're surrounded by enemies okay so green pastures still waters valley of shadow of death wilderness surrounded by enemies through it all what is the only constant god the only constant is god and if anybody young sitting here or old is thinking that all my life i'll be lying in that green pastures and god is not going to move me any further beware beware because he says if you don't progress you will not know me and you will not actually know what it you trust me and that's what we need to understand there is this progress in the beginning especially with young people let's as earthly parents do with children when they are very small parents demand hardly anything for from the child almost everything is done by the parents for the child and god is also the same but as you grow god will demand more and more and this is the process why we have to learn to trust him trust him trust him first thing is do you trust and the first part of trust is that we know there are so many gods so many powers and they have might they are powerful don't ever think the enemy does not have power they have might but god says i want you to trust and know me i am not mighty i am almighty i am almighty okay there is might in this world in reputation in power in money in powers of darkness but god is almighty and god will take us into situations to prove that he is almighty you can trust me the first thing he is almighty 
Second thing, he will make a distinction that he is not only almighty, he is specifically for you. If he is almighty for everybody, then there is not much difference. He is not almighty for everybody. He is almighty for us. So if you look This pattern you will see developing throughout scripture, especially very clearly explained is when God sends Moses and Aaron into Egypt to bring Israel out. For the first many times, Israel had to do nothing. Just just had to sit there, literally in their chairs, hammocks, and watch God move. First plague, water, blood. Second Frogs. And the third one, which is nuts. Okay? You will see the difference is, first one, they also made. Second one, they did, but they couldn't get rid of the frogs. Third one, they couldn't. But the Bible is not very clear. It looks, the first three plagues, it was on everybody. It was on everybody. On the Egyptians and the Israelites. On the fourth one, that is the flies, fourth one onwards, God said, I'm not only almighty, I'm an almighty who will make a distinction so that you will know I am your God, your refuge, your strength, so you don't have to fear. So you look in Exodus, in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people and tomorrow this sign shall be. The fourth plague that is going to happen is again a power game. God is showing his almighty power but he says there is a distinction. This is Egypt. This is Goshen. He said, it will fall here, it will not fall there. So let people see, I make a distinction between my people. Understand that. Why is these things important? Because these are the things that gives us boldness to approach our God. You have made a distinction. That's what Moses is telling. How will people know that you are our God and you are with us? Let your presence go with us. Make a distinction. Make a distinction. And God says, I will make a distinction. You will see four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. God doesn't ask Israel to do anything. Like when you are children, God will answer every prayer of yours. Where it is serious prayer, oh Lord, help me, I don't understand. Suddenly you realize you passed the exam and all that. Okay, he will not let you because he knows you are a chinna papa. And he knows you don't have much faith. And as a father carries, that's what scripture says, these big, big built Israelites, all rebellious, but they were inside spiritual babies and God says, I carried you and brought you thus far. Why? Spiritually you are babies. But he will not allow us to remain babies all the time. Okay? Then when it comes to the tenth one, suddenly something is happening. In Exodus 12, chapter 3, he says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Now, you and I, you're still in the world. You're still in Egypt. You have not got out. So, technically speaking, you're not saved. God is showing his power and saying, You are in, you are to be saved. These ones will not be saved. I'm making a difference. But now, if you want to be saved, you have to start doing something. On the tenth day, scripture says, Take a lamb. And verse 6. 
Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Take it on the 10th day, 11th day, 12th day, 13th day, 14th day, evening, kill it. How many days? Grace. The salvation begins by grace. Okay? On the 14th day, evening, kill it. That's how he says, now you have to step by faith. Not only there, kill it. Then verse 22. You shall take a bunch. Why? Because this is Lent season. Remember, this is Lent season and these are all fundamental teachings that happen all around the world during this season. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip into the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. You have to do something. You kill. Who killed Jesus? We killed. Who killed Jesus? We killed. Oh, please remember, he died 2,000 years ago. We are all guilty for his death. It was man who killed him and hung him on the cross. We killed. So we killed. We take that blood, apply it by faith, and God says, stay in. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in, stay in. Don't go out. Stay in. If you stay in, you are safe. Stay in, you are safe. You step out, death will swallow you. Stay in Christ. Okay? After that, something else interesting. That is in verse 18. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month of the evening. Okay? So imagine, evening, you kill that lamp. Okay, twilight, you killed that lamb, you took that blood, you put it on the doorpost of your house, technically in the new covenant, we applied the blood of Jesus over our life, we believed in the blood for redemption, for death to pass over us. After that, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of that month at evening. For the next seven days, what shall you do? Eat unleavened. You shall eat unleavened bread. Verse 19. For seven days, no living shall be found in your houses. Since whoever eats what is living, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a stranger or a native of the land. So after partaking of the Passover, God puts a new rule over there. He says seven days. See, first is salvation. After salvation, immediately begins the work of sanctification. It's a seven-day process. On the eighth day, God will have a new creation and a new set of people. Seven days. Sanctification. Leaven is a type of sin and leaven is also that messes up doctrine. So God says, do not eat bread in which there is leaven. Do not receive doctrine which is contaminated by the philosophies of the world. Drink the pure milk of the word of God. Drink, eat the meat of the word of God. And you know what? If we eat bread that is mixed with leaven, sanctification won't take place. And we won't grow. We won't grow. Exodus 12 and verse 15. Seven days you shall eat the unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. Don't eat it. So you see the pattern. Salvation, sanctification, at the end of it, glorification. 
and sanctification and salvation, if you read, are equally important. Equally important. Now the question, why did Israel die in the desert? Is it because they did not apply the blood or it's because they did not take out the leaven? The leaven. They did not want to be sanctified. Therefore, they were not glorified in the promised land. They did not receive the glory of the promised land because they fought against sanctification. Why did Israel ultimately go into captivity? Because in their history, they always fought the second part of removing the leaven. You know, in Peter, God says, he's not willing that anyone should perish. That is salvation. And you know, in Thessalonians, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. So understand this process, okay? It is only through this process of sanctification that we will learn to trust God. Otherwise, we will not trust God. The problem we don't trust God is we are eating leavened bread. We have mixed, like you have come straight from the world. And your head is full of all that that is in the world. You ate so much of unleavened bread. That's what I said. Unlike old days, today's education is not God-based. It is, it is a godless education you are receiving. It's not even neutral anymore. So your generation will struggle much more than we struggled. Like when I studied in school from 6 to 10 in, in, in Kerala, every morning we had 30 minutes of chapel where we sang, we worshipped and one hour of Bible study it's a part of the subject where you had to write the exam and pass if you needed to go to the next class okay, and I wasn't a believer, so in that school it didn't matter whether you were a Christian, a Catholic a Hindu or a Muslim, you had to do Bible study, and you had to pass your exam and it was in your ranking Okay, so education was very, very clear. We had all the subjects prescribed by the state. The syllabus was prescribed by the days. Textbooks were of the state. But one thing was compulsory. That was the word of God. That was the word of God. Okay, so remember the struggle you will face. And the whole trust, trust of the ministry of the word of God is first. Do you trust God? Do you believe God? And if you trust God, will you believe God? Will you obey God? Question is, how much will you believe? How much will you obey? Because the trust factor, he will increase the trials. How much will you obey? And standing in the way are trials and temptations. Let's leave temptation aside tonight. Trial could be exam for you next week. Or a death, facing death in the ICU for somebody else. Both are trials. It could be as simple as an exam for a child. For the child, you have to see, be in the child's shoes to see. That is a life and death matter for the child. (laughs) And we cannot say, hey, we all went through that same phase when exams were going on. And now sitting older, we'll say this thing. But actually, we also panicked at that day. Okay, so it is a serious thing for you. It could be something more, much more serious, perspective-wise, for somebody older. But as we saw... God intends trials for one purpose. It's a testing of our faith. Okay? It's a testing of our faith. And why is it so? There's a second thing which James will say in James 1, 2 and 3. Why is it so? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various 
trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces or perseverance, patience. The other word here is perseverance, meaning it is not enough. I have reacted to one situation in faith. I have to learn consistently to learn to walk by faith. That is the patience it is talking about. And the church in Philadelphia was commended not only because they kept the word, not only because they did not deny his name, but because they persevered in it. Every trial they came, they faced it with faith. You know, some people have only once a year testimony. Hallelujah! What happened God did for me? And what happened after that? God says, I understand. I, 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 I rejoice with your joy in that thing. But I want it to be consistent because it has to produce a lifestyle where you will persevere until you, you, you walk by faith alone. But the devil... On the other hand, in that trial, it is called fiery trial, fiery arrows of the enemy, he will use what is called fear. Okay? Now tell me, how many of you are not afraid of the exam? There is a little, huh? little fear, right? Yeah. has got board exam, she's shaking her fear is there. Right? When trial comes, any kind of trial comes, there is fear. And every Everyone has to battle fear in life. Reason? The life of faith is a battle of faith. It is a battle. And if we withdraw from the battle because of fear, we will lose our eternal rewards. That's the enemy's plan. And the Bible is very clear. Most people will end up in heaven. God loves them. They love God with no rewards. Why? Because the enemy used his major weapon called fear to steal our crown. Steal our crown. That's why in old days, even today, when a better, nowadays it's all armored and drones and all, but old days it was battalions who charged. When a battalion has been ordered to tar, charge into cannon fire, if one or two fellows turn around and ran, the immediate order was to shoot them. Because if one runs, two will run, three will run. Before you know, the whole battalion fear has taken over and run. So people were not allowed to withdraw. The commanding officer will always have a couple of soldiers watching to see if anybody in fear breaks ranks and runs, immediately shoot them dead. So you did not die because of enemy fire. You died because you were shot by your own people. Because fear is contagious. And you know in the Israelite camp, one will start, two will start. Before you know, the whole camp is crying in fear. And the enemy uses fear, not for temporary gains, but eternally so that we will lose. And fear includes all kinds of fear. That's why we have a hundred thousand and one phobias. Fear. Loss of reputation, loss of face, loss of success in the world, fear of death, you name it, you can claim it. And fear is what takes a large chunk of the Lord's army. Large set of people are absolutely inactive in God's army. God has got an army that's battling the powers of darkness day and night at different levels. But large part of people are not involved in it. It's simply because of fear. And don't, don't even realize it is because of fear. And the enemy 
intimidates the whole thing about the enemy. That's why you have very clear Old Testament patterns and we learn the spiritual principle in New Testament. Let's go and look at Old Testament pattern in Exodus 14. Okay, the Israelites are leaving and they are leaving. The Egyptian pursued them. All the horses and the chariots of the Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army overtook them, camping by the sea beside by Hahiroth before Baal Okay, you need to realize. How did he come? He came with his horsemen, his chariots, and his entire army. It is intimidation. The chariots of those days are the tanks of these days. Chariots, you will see Sisera had 600 iron chariots. The Pharaoh with all his chariots, horsemen. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptian marched after them. So they were very afraid. The whole purpose was to intimidate them. That, you know, if you intimidate, you can win a war without a fight. And they were ready. If it was in Moses, they would have gone back. They wouldn't have fought. Even without fighting, three years later, they were willing to go back. Hearing about enemy on the other side, they want to go back to the enemy on this side. That's what fear does. Fear will make you give up because the purpose of the enemy is to intimidate. And when you intimidate, you are intimidated if you do not know God as my refuge and my strength. And not only that, an ever-present current. This is my need. This is my situation. These are my enemies. I need your help now, Lord. Therefore, I shall not fear. I shall not fear. All of them are afraid. One man knew his God. Let's look at another picture, very familiar picture, but you see how enemy intimidates. First Samuel chapter 17, 4 to 8. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistine named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. I don't know how many it is, eight feet, nine feet? Imagine if I was this tall, you would listen to my words with fear and trembling. <laughs> you know? He had a bronze helmet on his hand. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was... Why is these details given? To intimidate. 5,000 shekels of bronze. And then he had bronze armor on his legs. A bronze javelin between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. The weaver's beam is thick. Okay. Now those who know cricket, our days, not your days. If you know a person, West Indies person called Michael Holding. You have to look at the old picture, no? Like, you know this table tennis ball? The cricket ball in Michael Hording's hand looks like a table tennis ball. His hand is so big and the cricket ball looks so small. But the problem, we Indians are so small and this giant is coming with like that. And I think most of them gave up. I think they ran themselves out. Because it was very intimidating if you know those Clive Lloyd's team and our poor Indians... No, all Sulil Gavaskar shorter than me. You know, all these people, and this is a huge, this is a picture. And if you look at all of them, they're fast bowlers. Short pitch delivery scared the heck out of you. Intimidation, that's what, look at him. He was huge, he was everything about him. The cause is to intimidate you. But remember, in both cases, whether it was Pharaoh's army or an individual, the enemy is using to intimidate God's people, it took only one person who trusted God and in his power to bring both down. In the first case, it was an 80-year-old man with a stick. In the second case, 
It was a young teenager with a sling. God had to prove, I am almighty. They are mighty. But I am almighty. When God is almighty, he does not face an army with 600 chariots with the army of 1000 chariots. No, no, no. He does. That's why he said, you don't have to multiply horses and chariots. I will show that I am almighty with a stick of an old man. Or of a sling of a boy. And how does he show his almighty in the work of salvation? With the foolishness of preaching. Foolishness of preaching. The very foolish things in the eyes of the world. The foolishness of preaching. He will rescue countless millions of people from hell. Simply with the foolishness of preaching. He says that's the power of God. So understand that. Fear will either cause panic and you will make missteps. A fear will, different kind of fear will cause you to cover up. That was David. You will see all that in David's life, different people's life. What is that will make, what fear will make you cause? That is why unless you overcome fear, you will make missteps and the devil does not make you do something, he either tempts you to do something or he causes fear to make you do something. So beware of fear tonight. Okay? In Judges chapter 7, verses 2 to 3, look at this. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. He said, there are too many people. You blew the trumpet 32,000 K. Too many. If 32,000 go and win, they will say, hallelujah, Israel is great. And Israel is not great. The battles you're going to face are going to be bigger and bigger and bigger. You cannot fight these battles in your strength. So I want you to do one thing. He said, therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people. Say loudly. What do you say? Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. Joe, see the problem is Gideon and all. Is when everybody says we are ready to fight and we are there for all night prayer and fasting, 21 days and all. Pastor is very excited, no? Then actually when he says all are fearful, go 22,000 left. 22,000 the people returned. Can you imagine if you are a general with a massive army against you, you are looking. What's happening here? Crowds are simply going. People are going by. All the best. All the best. Do well in your exam. Everybody went. All left. Do you know what it actually means? I did a math. 22,000 of 32,000. It is actually 69, 68.75. 69% of the company left. How much is left? 21% is left. Or 31% is left. You know the next one. He takes them to the water. God says these divided ones. Let them also go. How many is left? How many? That is less than 1%. Now do you believe 144,000 may be right on Zion? It's 0.975% who actually fought the battle of the entire army that came. And I believe it is real. It's less than one person who are not fearful. Who have found God as their refuge. Trusted him to that level. They have grown in their trust. Less than one person. 
That's why in Revelation 21.8, we know the list of people outside heaven. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all that. But the first is who? The fearful. That's the first one that is listed over there. Because fear will make you so many things. Children who write exams, fear of failure will make you copy. It will make you copy. Why do children copy? Because they are afraid. Not just they did not prepare, that is one thing, but they are afraid of losing. Fear will cause you copy. Fear will cause you to cheat. Fear will cause you to lie. Fear will cause you to do so many things. Fear will cause you to kill. Cause you to kill. Murder. Will cause you to kill. That's what David did. First he tried to pass it on on Uriah. Quietly tried two, three times. It didn't work. It didn't work. He was trying to cheat. It didn't work. Then he sent him off. Then he got him killed. Why? Because he was afraid. His deeds would be exposed. See what fear. What was the root behind it all? It was fear he would lose his reputation, his face. What fear can make you do. Fear can cause you to go into the enemy camp, to go to the other side. And for a season, you have relative peace. Very familiar passage again, First Samuel chapter 27. David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. What did he say? I will go to Pakistan and live. That's exactly. I'll go to Pakistan. Let's put it down. I will go to Pakistan and live. Modi will stop chasing me. And he went. But aren't you Indian? Yes. Were you born in India? Yes. Aren't your parents Indian? Yes. Why are you going to Pakistan? Fear. And David arose, went over with 600 men who were with him to Akish, the son of Mark, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Akish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, David with his two wives. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. And what are the next two verses which I gave, tell you? Six and seven. Akish gave him Ziglag that day. Therefore, Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and for 16 months. Peace. Got a city. Built a city. Suddenly it looks your decision was right. Because the minute you listen to the enemy and go down that path and you get a birth in the ship, and your cabin is wakened, you go down and you feel so comfortably asleep. If God hadn't intervened, Jonah would have restarted his comfortably. But in that case, it is God who created a storm. Not the devil. Not the devil. It was God who created the storm. That is why he got Ziklag and 16 months later, Ziklag had to be burned down with fire. Scripture will say he recovered all. Yes, he recovered all after it had been burned down by fire. Understand this. The world operates on a completely different format. It operates on loss and gain. Lot of people fear loss. 
Jesus also addresses the fact. He says, I understand your world, my world. This world, the kingdom. He says, I understand. I understand you're always looking at loss and gain. He says this. Whoever decides to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Here's loss and gain. If you try to gain here, you will lose it eternally. If you try to lose it temporarily, you will gain eternally. He says, I let me talk your language. You're not willing to put your foot forward. You're not willing to put your hand on the plow because you're always looking at loss and gain. For what profit is to a man he gains the whole world? Yes, of course. You gain the whole world. And after that, where are you going? That's temporary, right? And he's destroyed or lost. You gained the whole world and you lost your soul in eternity. So he puts across this fear of loss is a tremendous fear. Now, especially in the past couple of hundred years or less than that. Old days when Jesus is preaching and all in the book of Acts and all, you will see they have no fear because there's hardly any loss. They're all daily wage workers. Nothing to lose. If your father is a carpenter, what is your objective in life? You will become what? A carpenter, not an engineer. Not a doctor. Because these were all trades. Scripture was education. But the minute you found out in this world, you have upward mobility, then you started looking, everything has loss. And again, upward mobility is all good. Not at the cost of your soul. Not at the cost of your eternal crown. So Jesus compares it to temporary gain, eternal loss, and temporary loss, and eternal gain. What is that? Fear. The devil will put this fear of love. That's why, you know, if, I mean, we are one of the few churches, oh no, I guess many churches have midweek meetings. But you will see as exams come closer and closer and closer, people will start falling offline. Why? Fear starts taking over. What does it show? You don't trust God. And don't worry about children. Parents will keep them at home. Even if the child wants to go, the parent will say, sit and study. Why? You don't trust God. You don't trust God. And your fear has taken over. Then there is another fear, which is terrible fear, which is called the fear of man. Proverbs 29-25 says this. The fear of man brings us near. But whoever trusts in the Lord, the Lord is my refuge and my strength, my ever-present help. The fear of man is a snare. What is the fear of man? So many kinds. One, fear of rejection. Fear of failure. Fear of future. There is a new word, not so new. It's three, four years old. It's called FOMO. It was so common among teenagers. Oxford Dictionary in 2013 entered it into in English vocabulary. FOMO means, they say, I believe 90% of the teenagers are captivated by that fear. FOMO means fear of missing out. And I believe almost every purchase you do, every haircut you do, everything is because you are afraid of missing out in your group. They say teenagers are crippled by fear. They have no courage, strength to stand out like Joseph or stand out like Daniel because FOMO is the captivating, crippling fear. To the point, it has been included as a new word in the English dictionary. Fear of what? 
missing out. That's why that 0.975% of Gideon's army, I believe, eternity will prove it was true. It was true. Fear. Most teenagers are gripped by it. We all know why did the religious group, the priests, the Levites, scribes, hand Jesus over to Herod and Pilate because of envy. Envy. But why did Pilate allow him to be crucified? Because of fear. And fear. First he was afraid political. Herod is there, I am there. And this third one is come to get this thing. So he, this is being passed down, that court to this court to this court. So there is this political thing going on. This fear of who will become CM. You know? So they became friends and pushed Jesus out. Then now, he hears a dream and hears a confirmation. He gets scared in John 7, 19. Jews answered him, we have a law and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, the difference between a Christian and a Hindu is the Hindu fears all gods. The Christian doesn't fear his God. Understand? The Hindu fears all gods. He respects you actually, if you go through India, if you watch a simple devout Hindu, he will bow before his temple, he will bow before the mosque, and he will bow before the church. He fears all gods. The Christian doesn't fear any god, including his god. I'm not saying you should fear other gods, but he doesn't fear his God. So as soon as he heard himself as the son of God, therefore Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid. More afraid. And the question is, if he is the son of God and he fears him, will that allow him to set Jesus free? Listen to what happens. John 19 verses 12 to 13. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you let this man go, you are not? You are not Caesar's friend. Whoever speaks, makes himself a king, speaks against Caesar. He knew I am in a crux. Okay, I fear this man. He may be a son of God. But I don't want to go against Caesar. I will lose my kursi. Kahani? It's about the chair. I will lose my power. I will be thrown out. So he feared the people and he feared losing his position more than he feared that Jesus was the son of God. So what will he do? He will order Jesus to be crucified. You see that? You see this consistently through the Bible. It is not enough that you fear God. You're not going to overcome. You have to fear God more than all other fears. All other fears. Because fear is there. Everybody has fears. Natural, unnatural, supernatural, whatever fear you have, everybody has fears. Now, scripture actually prescribes two antidotes. Antidotes means medicines, cure, for fear. We need both. One we know, very familiar, very popular, 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That's why God says love God with all. It's not talking about love of your neighbor. No. This is talking about your love for God. Love God with all your heart, with all your might, all your strength. But that's a process. 
that's a process as you can get to know god the person of god only you can grow in this. that's a first antidote or one of the antidote there's a second antidote that is you fight fire fear of man all other fears fire with fire you fight all other fears with the fear of god and jesus i didn't say that jesus put it so beautifully in matthew 10 verse 28 do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell here there are two fears one is the fear of man and man's created world which can destroy your body the other is the fear of him who can eternally destroy your body and your soul he says let this fear help you to overcome this fear now you ask this question how did joseph overcome the fear of the punishment his mistress and master could inflict upon him because he feared god more He knows maximum the master can do is throw me in prison I rot in prison I die in prison after that after that okay fighting fire with fire so Jesus is talking about there are two fears you have to fight fire with fire fear with fear the fear of god can overcome let's how Jesus contrasts this in verses 12 are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will but the very hairs of your head are all numbered do not fear therefore you are more value than many sparrows he turns the narrative and says you can trust your god he's your refuge he's your strength not even a sparrow falls to the ground without your father in heaven knowing go to verse 30 not even a sparrow two sparrows sold for and not one of them falls to the ground apart from you know look at this your father's will not their father's will god is not the father of sparrows he's the creator of sparrows he's your father he says if god is so particular about a little sparrow the most common bird you see around and you are the child he says do you realize the very hairs of your head are numbered god is your refuge and your fortress your strength your ever present help he's don't be afraid don't be afraid so he's talking about two fears and one fear overcoming the other and also this trust and confidence that comes from knowing god as your father and he says the very hairs of your head are all numbered and for all the dear sisters who live in hyderabad and worry about hair loss God is saying when you get this new resurrected body all the hair that was lost will be restored that's what he say nobody will be bald in heaven everybody will have lots of hair so don't worry about it but you may be bald in hell or your hair will you will be maybe having flaming hair that's what he's talking about here because there is no restoration of hair in hell and even if you did you wish you did not have because it would be flaming so remember 
Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2, where we started, God is our present, our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear. That's where it begins. That's the same almost what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13 and verse 6. He says, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay. The fear of God, the trust of God is overcoming the fear of man. It's not that man cannot do anything to me. It's meaning it will all be recompensed. My God is my strength. Okay. So this is the antidote. And the antidote is so beautifully mentioned. You know it's familiar, but first through, through Moses on the mountain. Exodus 20, 18 to 20. Now, all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us, we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said something to the people. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. Okay, it's interesting. They saw at the visible manifest, visible to senses. There is thunder, there is lightning, there is smoke, there is fire. They saw these visible manifestations and they got scared. And they told Moses, you go, we are not coming. We are scared. Here actually, two fears are being contrasted. One fear is the visible fear, like you, you, you want to, you wake up at 12 in the night. And you want to go drink water. And uh, everybody is sleeping. You go, I'm talking about Hepzibah, okay? You're going to drink your water. And suddenly the wind moves and something moves over there. Hepzibah is back in her bed with the blanket. She's thirsty, is gone. Everything is gone. Okay? Everything is gone. Everything is forgotten. But there's another fear. That his fear may be before you. This is spiritual. One is a very fleshly, carnal fear. Because of something your senses perceive, the something else, the fear he's talking about something much deeper and you have to grow in it. The problem with the fleshly fear is it will not last. Once the thunder stops and the lightning goes and the fire dies and the smoke is gone, after a little while, the fear is gone. Yes, at night you are afraid because the wind was moving. When light comes, that fear is gone. You are the bravest person around because that thing is gone. Okay, That's what happens in Exodus 32 and verse 1. When the people saw Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, 40 days, 30 days, 25 days are over. There's no more lightning there, no more thunder, no more fire, no more nothing. Everything is quiet. Moses has also disappeared. That fear where you saw on the first day, it's gone. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For us, for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land, we do not know what has become of me. Fear is gone. It's gone. Lord of people, you need to understand, actually approach God with false fear, false piety, false. It's all false. When they come to church, it's weird. When they go out, they are scoundrels. Nothing. That's why you look in all religion. How can you go bow this thing and then go kill somebody? That's what God is talking about. 
Don't mistake one for the other. Don't mistake one for the other. Because this is the antidote to receiving your eternal crown. There is this love of God which casts away fear and there is this fear of God which will overcome all the other fears. That's how forest firefighters, huge forest is on flames. What do the forest fighters do? They set off another fire and the fire stops the fire. Before no. That's how they do it. So that the fire doesn't spread into the town. They start another fire, creates a border and the fire, other fire slowly dies off. Firefighting with fire. And God says, how will you overcome all? Because fear is the enemy's greatest I believe the greatest weapon or most, not greatest, most successful weapon. I believe 99 personal people who do not receive their crowns in heaven, it's because they will be fearful. And that's why it's put first in the list in Revelation 21, 7, first. The other fear is very, very spiritual. It is something which is from God himself. The spirit of God gives you. In Psalm 19 and verse 19, the fear of the Lord is clean. Not only it is clean, it endures here and there. Endures forever. It's forever. It endures forever. It's clean and it endures forever. We have to have it in increasing measure. Otherwise, it will impede our progress. We cannot go further with God. You look at Exodus 20 and verse 20. Didn't I give you Exodus 20, 21? The people stood far off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. That's interesting. Understand. Okay, a long time ago we preached on this. But understand this. There is God and there is darkness covering God. Okay. What is it physical here? What does it mean? You and I cannot understand God unless we fear him. He will not reveal himself. There is thick darkness. And the people all stay far away. And one man who really fears God goes through the darkness and starts encountering God. And because of that encounter, we have the law. It goes into the darkness. You see, if I don't encounter God, I cannot progress with God. If I do not understand God, I cannot move ahead with God. If I do not know God, I am not going to grow spiritually. So it will demand that I go into that darkness. Moses went into that darkness. Now listen to Solomon, what Solomon says, the next verse we have. Solomon spoke, the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. Dark cloud. So you have a set of people who will stay far away, while the other one, Moses, will go into the darkness. Why? Because he received the fear of God. And if we don't receive it and move on, much of who God is, will be darkness for us. And I will tell you, one of the primary reasons people are not excited about God is people, God is still dark for them. Still dark for them. And God is telling us, I understand it, I am dark for you. And I am keeping myself dark for your protection. Because I cannot reveal myself to you, to a man or a woman who doesn't really fear me because you will kill yourself. In the process. So we may grow in the knowledge of the world. But we do not grow in the knowledge of God. And he actually said my people are destroyed. Because of lack of knowledge. Knowledge of God. So we saw Solomon. 
we see in 2 Samuel 22, 12. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the sky. Why? He's hiding himself for our protection. In Deuteronomy 5 and verse 22, scripture says, These words of the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness. Though God desires to be near his people, he hides himself in thick darkness. And in the new covenant, he wants to change it all. You see, for 33 and a half years, Jesus was on planet earth. Three and a half years, he walked with his disciples. Yet, it is only for a fraction, I don't know of how many seconds, to three disciples, he revealed what he really was. Till then, the flesh covered his glory. Just for a few seconds. This is what I am. This is what I am. And when they saw it, they fell flat on their face. They saw who he was. That was just a physical what manifestation of his glory. But we are here talking about understanding God. That God really wants to communicate with us. God really wants to show himself to us. He really wants to commune with us. But he says, I cover myself in darkness. And the only ones who can come close to me, he says, two antidotes. One, perfect love. And the other one, fear of God. In Hebrews 12 and verse 18. You have not come to that mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire and blackness and darkness and tempest. What is he saying in the new covenant? He says, they came to that. You are coming to me through Christ Jesus. You are not coming to something that is dark. Through my son, you can come and know me. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the way, the truth and the life. No man can come to the Father other than through me. If you rewrite that sentence in English, every man can come to the Father through me. I know my father. Cut through the darkness and I will reveal. So you see the devil uses fear. All kinds of fears. To stop us from our greatest privilege. That is approaching God. And the antidote is the fear of the Lord. And God says keep receiving it. In Psalm 34 and verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Delivers them. Look at people like Elisha and Paul and Silas and all. Why were they not afraid of anything? It's because they feared God and they knew his presence was real. They knew God in ways we would probably take centuries to know. And angels encamped around them. They knew God. They cut through the darkness. Okay, there are other verses. Let us leave it. Let's just take five minutes and let me conclude this. We all are human. So we all have our natural human fears. All are human. You, you cannot escape that. We are all human. We have our fears. Now, I'm not negating that fear. I'm seeing how we overcome that fear. Okay? Let us look at a chapter as the final five minutes. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Here is a king, a good king, a righteous king, godly king, surrounded by a huge, massive force. It happened after that, after this, that the people of Moab were the people of Ammon. Who are these two? Lord's contribution to God's kingdom. 
Okay, so you have to see this narrative. What happens? What happens when a comp? What does a compromised Christian generate in the kingdom of God? Enemies for God's people. Understand? Don't just read it and say, "Oh, Lord." No, we are all capable of what Lord did. That's why God says, "Either be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm, because lukewarm Christians produce the offspring of Lord." Moab and Ammon came to battle against Jehoshaphat. They are one blood, one family. The ones who left Ur of the Chaldeans, ones who walked out of Haran and came to the promised land, one blood, but two different camps because of compromise. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. They are in Hazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. That's natural. He feared. Let's imagine you go back. This is the Bakara because you're in class 10, right? Yeah. You know, suddenly she goes back and she gets a text, board of exams. Exams have been preponed. Final begins tomorrow. She'll have a heart attack. Afraid. Alarm, afraid. So we all naturally react in fear. But the question is not, the natural fear is that, what does that make you do? I said the purpose of fear by the enemy is to cause us to panic and make terrible decisions, missteps. But look at him, what that fear caused him to do. He set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast across the land. That is the key. You cannot escape fear. You cannot escape fear. That's natural. We are all natural. Dust unto dust we will be. We are the natural man and the spiritual man. So immediately natural. Uh, don't tell me when they flogged uh, Paul, he stood like this. He also flinched. Okay. Don't tell me I am Paul. I should, should not. All my disciples are watching. No, no, he also flinched. He also hurt. Okay? So, fast. He proclaimed a fast. He turned towards God. Faith is not a denial of reality. It's looking beyond your reality at God. Please understand that. By faith, we are not denying anyone else a reality. There's a reality beyond that. That is the reality of God. Yes, you worked. Yes, you studied. But when the question paper came, it looks like Latin and Greek. What do all the students say? After syllabus, teacher is wrong, board is wrong, everybody is wrong. It may be true, but you can go one step ahead and say, my God reigns. My God is my refuge and my strength, my ever-present help. And you say, Lord, help me through this. I put your trust in you. Help me through this, Lord. I put my trust. I'm not going to ask anybody. I'm not going to fight here and stand in with a placard. I'm going to trust you to take me through this, Lord. It's not denying your reality. It is going beyond because everybody will be tested at whatever age you are. What is your reality? Are you going to react to your reality, your alarm? But will you seek the Lord in the midst of your alarm? Will you seek the Lord? That's what God is talking about. Will you seek the Lord? In chapter 20, 
and verse 12. God responds to that man. He's afraid, but he still goes to God. He sends a prophet who prays, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. What is he doing? He is confessing. Lord, this is my army. That is that army. They are giants. We are grasshoppers. But if you are with you, grasshoppers can win giants. That's what the people should have told. They are giants. We are grasshoppers. But if God is with us, we will have a strange miracle in history. Grasshoppers eating giants. That's what. God did not ask them to deny the reality. But when they denied the reality, the problem is they made their fear bigger than God and they worshipped their fears. That's what happened. It's an immediate, incredible answer when he goes. He says, but our eyes are upon you. Look at God's answer through the prophet, verse 15. And he said, listen all you of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. Because your eyes are on you in the midst of your fear. You came to me. You looked at me. God says, I will fight for you. The battle is not. Imagine when you are writing that exam. Just out of the blue. Math is so difficult. Everybody is panicking. You cry out to the Lord quietly. And this is the verse that comes in the mind. Can you hold on to the promise? The word of God has suddenly become living in your. This battle is mine. Just go ahead and write the answer, my child. I'll take you through. I've seen students who have done it. Come through. It's like the university professor long time back. Today you can ask those questions. They will throw you out of the university. In a math class he asked, does Jesus understand algebra? Students all smart, no? 2,000 years ago, Jesus the carpenter, algebra, they all laughed and said no. And the professor looked at them and said, algebra started in his mind. It started from his mind. So you think math is difficult for him? I'm not excusing laziness and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about coming to the end of yourself and looking at God. Any situation, you have to see the power of God's intervention. And you will hear that very, very familiar words of God. Word 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself and be still. Be still. See the salvation of the Lord. Be still. See the salvation of the Lord. Who is with you? O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them. For the Lord is with you. Don't be dismayed. Don't be dismayed. Be still. Be still. It does, the, the, the narrative doesn't end like that. In verse 29 and 30, scripture says, the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. This fear is a different fear. The actual translation should say, the terror of the Lord fell upon the enemies of Jehoshaphat. 
There's a fear of the Lord and there's a terror of the Lord. There's a fear of man, there's a fear of God and the terror of God. After some time, all the nations said, leave Jehoshaphat and Israel alone. Their God is too powerful. Too powerful. That's what you read in Genesis 35 and verse 5. Sons of Jacob killed an entire city. And Jacob was very upset, but they are moving from there. And when they are moving from there, scripture says, as they journeyed, the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. They're just a small family, a group of people, two couple of hundred people, maybe four or five hundred people. This is one entire city they have put to death, and this city and all the people are related. But all the cities are frozen in fear because the angels of the Lord are encamping around Jacob and his company of children and taking them. The terror of the Lord has fallen upon God's people, on the enemies of Jacob. Do you see? This is how you appropriate the promises of God, by believing. This is God's security system. This is how you do it. Two more verses and we stop. Isaiah 19 verse 16. In that day, Egypt will be like women. But today you can't do They will put you into Me Too movement. Okay? Like women. And will be afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he waves over it. We talk about that. Egypt will be like women. Why? God just waves his hand over Egypt and all of them are trembling. The terror of the Lord, fear of the Lord, a different one. And one more verse I gave you, Psalm 9.20. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. So you look at these promises. Why these promises? Because as you go through life, Scripture says, for the, I believe for the final generation, that incredible promise of Daniel They who know the Lord shall do great exploits. This is how you know the Lord. You understand the ways of God, how he deals with his people, how he deals with those who love him, how he deals with those who fear him, how those who cut through the darkness and go to him and say, Lord, I want to know you. And as you grow in the knowledge of God, you see your enemies arise. But as your enemies arise, the terror of the Lord starts falling upon them. God says, be still and know that I am God. All the single factor in your whole life. Your whole life. Because Babylon will only wax stronger and stronger and more and more evil and more and more wicked. The end days Babylon. And God says, his children will stand there firm. And they who know the Lord shall do great mighty deeds. But the key of it all, deep inside, what does God say? Be still. That's an act of faith. Be still. Be still. And know that I am God. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. You are our God. And we've been on this journey as individuals, different stages, so many different years each one has crossed. But there's so much more, Lord, in this journey, a journey that will never finish, even in eternity, knowing you. Today, Father, I pray, especially for these young ones, They look into the future. There may be so many fears. But Father, I pray, the fear of God will trump all those fears. That they will know you. Not as our God, but as my God. 
I don't want to say like Paul said to the church, my God shall supply your needs. I pray, Lord. Every one of us would be able to say, my God shall supply my need. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my strength and my refuge and my ever-present help. And therefore, I shall not fear. I pray, Father, the ministry of the word will create a personal, growing, intense relationship in each one's life. And every trial, every temptation, every testing is tuned towards drawing us closer and closer, Lord. Like Jehoshaphat, Lord, when he saw the multitudes range around him. Yes, he trembled. But then he went to you. And he laid his case before you. And you told him, do not fear. The battle is the Lord's. Be still. And see the deliverance of the Lord. And I pray everyone, young and old, will know you that way, Lord. And as we go through life, and as we face our battles, Lord, I pray we will know you more and more and more. And not panic, and not retreat, and not run, and not quit this battle of faith, because quitters don't receive crowns. Only those who fight and finish receive crowns and glory in the coming kingdom. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Equip your children, especially these young ones, as they prepare for their board exams, Lord. And all the others, whatever test they are going through, be our God, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father. You brought us safely, and I pray you reach us all home safely. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.